Hello and welcome to Impure Rethought. My name is Victoria, aka Vika, and this is a podcast examining how patriarchy, purity, and profit have shaped Western culture. Meg is out today because she's traveling, so I'm pleased to say that I have a guest filling in with me today. My guest is a writer one of my very first critique partners. Uh, she has a forthcoming novel. So without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Samantha. And uh, yes, just like Victoria said, uh, we met uh, through critique partners long, long ago while she was still living yes. in Russia. And um, I guess uh what my relationship with the church is is uh <laughs> so i used to go to a baptist church and that was mm -hmm. a very interesting experience i suppose you could say i'm at least uh a good few years past my deconstruction so i've had <laughs> the um uh, already gone through the uh that particular delightful process and uh, have processed it enough to realize, um, unfortunately, how uh, messed up a lot of it was, yeah. to say the least. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's a very short summary of uh, me and any, like, church TM-related experience I have for the moment. This is pure thought and impure thought business. Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. Well, we're very happy and excited to have you on the podcast today, so quickly, oh, I just bumped into my microphone, sorry. Uh, let's do our housekeeping. If you would like to support the podcast, you can leave us a review. Uh, you can rate us on Spotify if you're listening there. You can follow us on our Twitter and Instagram, or you can join us on Discord to come chat. Um, I think that's everything you would also Venmo me personally $10,000. Um, but that's just, that would, that would just be a gift for me. I mean, anyway. Yeah, that um, would be good too. I mean, $420 <laughs> also works, $69. Yeah, $69. $666. Um, We're not picking. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I pick 666. That, that would be great. I feel My like it's thematic. That one. It's thematically on point for this podcast. Yeah, it it really is. Um, okay, so I guess let's get started. So the subject. Oh wait, Samantha, you didn't even take the chance to promote your novel. Oh, would you like to talk about it? <laughs> uh, don't mind me, uh, kind audience, as I shamelessly promote my novel. Uh, no, <laughs> What's uh, the place to do it. Uh, indeed, indeed, it seems so. Uh, so uh, Victoria has helped me uh, 
with this novel. So it is, uh, I verified, uh, at least I assume it has your stamp of approval. I would oh, hope so. it, it fully does. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. My most honest, uh, pitch for this novel is it is a group of morally gray bisexuals who commit regicide. Um, <laughs> but my more professional pitch is it's about four magicians who abuse uh, magic to gain power in a corrupt Victorian-inspired society. So if you like messy bisexuals and uh, ma magic systems and just in general kind of a gas lamp fantasy feel, then I hope you will uh, check my book out, which is coming out, oh god, November 8th, if everything goes well at this point. What um, is the title? Oh, uh, the title is An Incarnation of Shadow and Light. You should be able to pre-order the ebook on Amazon now. Uh, the pre-order for the physical edition of the book should be available everywhere later this month because uh, I, Ingram Spark is horrible to deal with and I have to upload the whole <laughs> manuscript at once <laughs> rather than yeah. just opening a pre-order for it. Uh, but uh, that should be um, available later this month and also not to be that person that shouts out their uh, social media handle. <laughs> also <laughs> gonna be that person. Yeah, no, do it. Uh, so if you follow me at sa underscore Christensen, it's literally just like Christian and then son. Uh, um, on Instagram, um, I'll be uh, posting that whenever the book will be available to pre-order. Uh, hopefully later this month. So that is also where you can find me. I sometimes post art. Very sporadic. Yeah, Samantha is an amazing artist. BTW. Uh, uh, so I, I try. Also... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do. You are you are a person of art school experience. I, I as, am. As we put it. <laughs> uh, I, a, a former animation school student, perhaps parentheses derogatory, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Amazing. Okay. Well, let's get into the episode now. Um, so today, our topic is the Puritan slash Protestant work ethic. So before we dive into my research, Samantha, what are your thoughts, experiences, and feelings with the Puritan Protestant work ethic? Um, I mean, my initial, uh, my initial reaction right off the bat is just, it's a scam. Um, <laughs> true. <laughs> I feel like it's just something which was co-opted, but and I'm sure we're gonna get into uh, the more specific history of this. Uh, but just something that's been used and abused uh, to get essentially more labor out of people. <laughs> yeah. So definitely not a fan. I'm just gonna ask you a question like when when I say the Protestant work ethic like what does that mean to you have you heard it before like have you heard people talk about the Protestant work ethic I feel like usually when I hear it talked about like oh god what's that saying like idle hands are the are the devil's workshop yeah 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 <laughs> that one like I hear that a lot like it's 
like, I never hear it specifically, like, the people who, like, believe in it or, like, subscribe to it, like, I feel, um, like, it's never directly referred to as, like, quote-unquote, the Protestant work ethic. I feel like it's always kind of uh, referred to more in the sense of, like, you know, like, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, like, if you just work hard enough, you can make it and, like, just, yeah, just... I guess along those lines is where my mind goes when just when I think about it right off the bat. Yeah. Have you heard? Okay, now I'm going to quiz you a little bit. Have you heard any of these phrases in your life? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, Lord. This is I feel like this list is going to trigger me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is my calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is my passion. Mm-hmm. A labor of love. Oh my god. <laughs> it's everywhere. So I I would say that those are all like phrases in our modern Western culture that could be contributed to what we know as the Protestant work ethic. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Like I feel like it's so deeply entrenched in like western society that like like i've heard those sayings so many times that like like you know when you hear something so many times that you don't really think of it it's just like you kind of accept it because you're like oh yeah 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 you know like do what you love never work a day in your life okay sure (laughs) maybe also part of the oh sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna say like that's also how like advertisements work like it's not necessarily to be like this is the best hamburger it's just that like when you think i want a hamburger then you'll you'll think of the thing that you've seen the most times Mm. um so that's kind of what like the the ubiquity of those phrases mean to me yeah definitely i kind of having a train of thought about you know like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life which is just Mm -hmm. capitalist nonsense um but also uh just i mean i don't know i feel like i would like to not be working (laughs) yeah like you know i enjoy the job that i have right now luckily but I don't know. I, I would just kind of like to be hanging out and like eating berries. Oh off my of a God. Bush. I was literally, I was talking to Duncan about this like a couple days ago um, because I was saying like, I would be great at being a retired person because I'm really good at hanging out. And that's like, that's like the most important skill that you have in life. Just hanging out and buying and, and having little treats. It Those is. Most important things. It's what humans were built for. We're just meant to hang out, have a good time, and eat little treats. Literally. That's, that's exactly what it's about. Um, okay, so starting off this episode, um, I did ask for some input from our Discord and Instagram, and I only got two responses, um, which people had more to say about marriage than they did about work, I guess, which is rude, but it's okay. I, I love you all anyways. I mean, love, you know, romance, marriage, it gets the people going. It's, produ- it's provocative. It, it really does. <laughs> um, so we only had two people respond, but I thought they were both interesting responses. So what, and, and, and responses that I think you'll have something to say about Samantha. So 
The first one um, said that their dad, who was a white evangelical minister, uh, saw mental health days as an excuse to be lazy. Um, Any thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I said I was going to be triggered, and I am. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, I I just feel like... Christians and you know what if you are a Christian well I mean first of all I'm sorry second of (laughs) all um I just I don't know like it's do do they not like to have fun because like I feel like my time in the church as brief as it I mean like I was there for at least several years so it wasn't that brief but Mm -hmm. just it was all about looking back on it now it was basically all about not having fun oh my god you're you're giving me such a good setup for the research in this episode this is great keep going <laughs> oh, but it was yeah it was just like you know like you should be working and you should be working hard and you should be contributing to things all the time and just like like we were saying before like being a human being it's all about just like you know, re- taking time to rest and just mm-hmm. hang out, you know, with your friends and your family and have little treats. And, like, that's what human beings basically evolved for. And just, like, I don't know, just, like, pushing yourself to the point of, like, breaking by just, like, working all the time. It's just... And then also on top of that, at- adding the mental anguish of, like, feeling like... And okay, so this is kind of a tangent, but not really. So okay. I we love tangents on this <laughs> podcast. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, I do freelance work, and the thing about freelance work is, even when, uh, and I also work from home. So mm-hmm. even when that also used to be me, and oh boy, <laughs> uh, in a in a studio apartment. <laughs> oh yeah. So just. Even when you're not working, you feel like you should be working. You just feel like, well, I could spend this time to relax right now, or I could get started on this other thing and then get ahead. And I mean, like, this definitely is an issue I have because I constantly need external validation, which is a whole other thing that I won't get into. (laughs) Not here and now, uh, but uh, definitely it doesn't, I don't know, this was kind of a long tangent, but anyways. Uh, no, just- I I felt the same way when I was freelancing because like because like there's the thing about freelancing is like there's always the possibility of making more money and it's really hard to like stop when you're done with a project because you're like if I keep going I could make more and I could yes. be a, a freelancing millionaire even though like that's not gonna happen I know exactly what you're talking about yeah it's just basically the not only the the guilt of feeling like you should be working when you're not working, but also kind of like the delusion that you tell yourself, like, well, if I just work harder, like, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, I'll, yeah. I don't know, get enough money, you know, notoriety, insert whatever you're looking for here to, like, get ahead, which, you know, maybe that's the case sometimes, but, but like, well, yeah. most likely not. Likely not. In, in our late-stage capitalist society, that's, I'm going to say right now, pretty definitively, that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, totally. 
So the next person said that she is a second generation German daughter to a father who hid and masked his depression, anxiety, and PTSD until it literally killed him. Yet she still struggles with thinking that she's just stupid and unmotivated when actually she has ADHD depression and PTSD from growing up in a house where if she didn't sit up straight enough in her chair, her dad would tie her to it so she didn't slouch, which is not recommended for a hyperactive five-year-old. Which, I feel like that's another, like, just work hard enough and things will come to you, but in a much different way. Um, And I think that also says something about how you, like, that both of our replies are about, like, mental health. Um, not being recognized and about like like girl bossing your way out of not having <laughs> not a neurological bossing. condition yeah i i mean and i remember i remember that being like thoroughly my experience in the church because i i was really struggling when i was like 17 and yeah just being told that like my faith wasn't strong enough and like mm. actually no i was i was having serious mental illness um and no and like nobody was taking me seriously and so it was this idea that if like if you work hard enough at at anything including your faith then like all of your problems will go away mm-hmm. absolutely and uh just i mean right off the bat i just want to say uh apologies to that that uh question asker who sent that in uh that's yeah. really rough and I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I hope you have the the support and uh, stability that you need right now. Uh, but yeah. to uh, kind of go back to uh, what you were saying, Victoria, um, definitely. Uh, oh, God. Just mental health and the church. Boy, howdy. Woo! Those are. Boy, howdy. Those are just two things that don't mix and yeah. they don't mix and if they and if they ever do come into like some sort of contact with each other it just never works out well because I was no. kind of uh, in a similar vein to you I was uh, also a very mentally ill uh, teenager in the church <laughs> who was dealing with uh, basically undiagnosed, unmedicated uh, depression and anxiety and uh, was, you know, definitely didn't receive the help that I needed. Like, was it got really bad and also probably the church just made it worse because definitely thought, I, I don't know, well, you know what? No, this probably is a thing in like all churches, but especially in the Baptist church that I went to, they really put an emphasis on who and who was not going to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And basically, uh, everyone who wasn't a Baptist Christian was going to hell. <laughs> so, oh, I- my God, they <laughs> okay. I have I have some wild stuff that's going to come up in the research today, but. Like, I didn't, the, most of the churches that I went to, I went to a church that was, like, a Baptist mega church, so really it was, like, non-denominational for a while, and then I went to an actual, like, non-denominational church, and I did not know that the sects of Protestantism had it out for each other this much. Like, <laughs> the, like, still, 
Uh, like truly the girls are fighting like they're fighting they're out for each other's throats (laughs) yeah but exactly (laughs) very much had had many uh many a night as a teenager uh having uh many sleepless nights uh worrying about all of uh the people in my life who were not baptist christians who uh, I had been told we're going to go to hell for eternity. So <laughs> definitely did not help the anxiety and depression. What is the Protestant work ethic? So the Protestant work ethic, also known as the Calvinist work ethic or the Puritan work ethic, is a work ethic concept in theology, sociology, economics, and history, which emphasizes that diligence, discipline, and frugality are a result of a person's subscription to the values espoused by the Protestant faith, particularly Calvinism. Who's Calvin? So, oh, John Calvin, enemy of the cast. John Calvin <laughs> was... He was a scholar in like around the time of the English Reformation. I don't rem- I don't remember exactly when he lived, but a lot of like more sort of strict puritanical ideas come from John Calvin. And I'm going to talk about Calvinism a little bit. The term the Protestant work ethic was originally coined by German scholar Max Weber in his 1905 book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Um, This book was translated into English in 1930, and in it, Weber argued that capitalist success actually stems from Calvinism. So Calvinism is a sect of Protestantism that follows the teachings of John Calvin, which basically says that our fates are predetermined at birth. Um, so, Wait. <laughs> so, Wait. hold on, hold on. So, so when you're born, it's actually already already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Wait. So, the signs and and the signs that somebody is saved are actually largely external. So, like if somebody's really good looking. <laughs> Or has a successful <laughs> business, then then they might then they're probably predetermined to go to heaven. So if you're ugly, then you're going to hell. You're going to um. rot in hell. <laughs> oh wait, I also forgot to ask you if we can swear on this podcast before we start yes, recording. You can. Okay, good. <laughs> I was just don't don't even worry ugly about bitch, it. and then I'm like, wait, can I swear on here? I don't know. <laughs> This is another total tangent, but so my parents were, this may come as a shock to people, but my parents were like 90s punk rockers and um, like lapsed Catholics. They were like not, they were not well-behaved kids is how I'll put it. And we didn't start going to church until I was like 12 or 13. And so I grew up hearing a lot of foul language around me. And I would always say that when I turned 18, the first thing I was going to do was say fuck. Like, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And like, I think I was like 17 when I realized that like nobody was actually watching me. But um, it's always funny to me because uh, I know my mom listens to this podcast and it, sometimes I still have that like knee jerk reaction of like, <gasps> I can't swear in front of my mom, even though I don't swear in front of my mom in, in real life. Like, that's so weird to me when people swear in front of their parents. I'm like, what? But but yeah, I know it is. It is weird. I don't I don't like it either. Like, I will automatically like clean up my language around my parents. I'm just like, I, I don't need them hearing this. Like, it's just, yeah, it's awkward. 
It's just, it's not, it's not what our relationship needs. But it's always funny to me that, like, my mom ever expected any of my sisters to not swear, considering how much my parents swore around us when we were kids. Aww. Like, that's literally, <laughs> that's literally how we acquired language. Um, <laughs> anyways, back to Calvinism. So, this yeah, is the idea. I'm very interested in this. Uh, I had no idea, like, wasn't that a thing in ancient Greece where they thought like the better looking you were that like the more like morally pure of a person you were because wasn't that I that mean, probably. where that lady was put on trial for like murder and then she like showed her titties and like she looked really good <laughs> so they were like oh she's too beautiful to have committed a so crime she's actually innocent. she's innocent I mean that's totally like how stuff still works today oh absolutely absolutely i mean honestly queen (laughs) she she was girl bossing i think every woman should get one free murder yeah you know it's only fair for what society subjects women to truly calvinism has this idea that like or not calvinism really it's more like john calvin said this about people being predestined and then people really took that and ran with it this is where the idea of having a job like as your calling comes from as opposed to something one did for money it is an obligation which the individual is supposed to feel and does feel toward the content of his professional activity no matter in what it consists So this is actually evident in our modern culture today. Protestants have a much harder time with unemployment than non-Protestants, as do non-Protestants in Protestant countries. They suffer more mental health and social consequences. I'm going to read a quote now, but I didn't write down what it was from, so find it in the show notes. As hard workers attempted to prosper in business in order to show that they were God's chosen ones, over time, hard work became the object in itself, particularly in the United States. This is ultimately sort of ironic because, as Tim Crider wrote in his recent New York Times article condemning busyness, the Puritans turned work into a virtue, evidently forgetting that God invented it as a punishment. But there you have it. We work hard because it's the American way, and it's the American way because the Puritans did it. Um, thoughts? Um, first of all, hilarious <laughs> that uh, this person is essentially saying that God invented work as a punishment, and yeah. instead the takeaway is uh, we're going to work as hard as we can, uh, because that's what we've been called to do, and then it's like a blessing, and... <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, I... Yeah, people. People, which is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Did you ever, when you were, like, in in your church era, did you ever hear people say, like, I'm feeling called to do this about, <gasps> um, for yes. a lot, for me, it was a lot of, like, women who wanted to be teachers. They were like, this is my calling, <laughs> which is, like, <laughs> like, fine, that's fine for them, mm-hmm. but, like, you can't all be called to be teachers, then <laughs> it just, and it just so happens to be... <laughs> one of the acceptable jobs for women like what if i was like i'm feeling i'm feeling called to like rob a bank yeah i get the same support i don't think i would which also okay i have many many thoughts first of all (laughs) i love using the excuse now of if you want to do something just being like yeah 
Oh, God. I think this was... Sorry, my mind is just uh, going in a million different directions. But this reminds me... So, my sister watches uh, 90 Day Fiancé, and she'll, like, always update me on the gossip. And (laughs) I just remember this one time she was telling me about this guy. He was, like, a middle-aged man who essentially was dating, like... Or, like, quote-unquote, was dating this, like... Mm -hmm. I don't know I think she was like 19 or 20 basically like young enough to be his daughter and yeah. he was like and I like I know this show is like scripted to like an extent of course but I don't know just one of the things he said was like you know God has called me to like do this and like date her and like bring her to America just like oh my god like wow uh sure. first of all the confidence uh uh wow unrivaled uh but also <laughs> I love how people's callings are always what happens to be most personally convenient. And yeah, what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know what? I really want to, like, I don't know, eat a cake, you know? I just, like, yeah. really want a cake right called. now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I'm feeling called have everybody else pay me ten thousand dollars per day for the rest of my life and Uh, venmo venmo victoria uh (laughs) just do it uh i'm also on cash app yeah (laughs) yeah uh cash app ko-fi we're not picky here just open up the app send the money over i want my zell listen as as you have already brought up there is a very famous bible verse Proverbs sixteen twenty seven to 33. I'm going to read the whole verse because I think it's in, important to take it in its whole context. But it says, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. An evil man sows strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Wickedness loves company and leads others into sin. The wicked man stares into space with pursed lips, deep in thought, planning his evil deeds. White hair is a crown of glory and is seen most among the godly. It is better to be slow-tempered than famous. It is better to have self-control than to control an army. We toss the coin, but it is the Lord who controls its decision. Does anything about that verse stand out to you? Not really. Like, it just sounds like something that I would have heard in church a lot and probably wouldn't have questioned it too much because I would have been like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it 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 does get taken out of context a lot where I mean I would say that I think that the the moral of this verse is like you don't control uh your material circumstances like God does. So focus on like inward improvement, which is not usually how I hear it talked about. But thankfully, money is the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Would you like really? to guess how many times it's mentioned? Yep. 669 times. Oh, God. I wish. Um, it is <laughs> mentioned about 2,000 times. Whoa. Second only to faith and prayer. So I've picked out some choice verses on the subject of money that I'd like to read to you now. This is Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Okay, now we're going to move to Psalms 13.16-17. to 17. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Hebrews 13.5 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Matthew 19.21 Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your positions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Matthew 21.12-13 This is an iconic Jesus moment right here. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayers, but you are making it a den of robbers. Matthew 6, 2, 4 So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the last one. Matthew nineteen twenty four. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Any thoughts on these verses? First off, right off the bat, uh, very iconic uh, Jesus moment right there. Like a Pisces <laughs> king, if I have ever uh, heard of one. Uh, but second of all, uh, I have definitely heard these uh, a lot, a lot in church and yeah. also read them a lot, a lot. But also, then I think it's very ironic because just a lot of... Mm, Does this sound like the church TM to you? Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> uh, <all laughs> just in general, the church TM is very ironic to me. Uh, yeah. But especially... It doesn't uh, sound like the church TM to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It kind of actually sounds like the opposite, uh, uh, the opposite of what the church does, uh, to mm -hmm. be honest. I remember one time uh, going to like a choir concert when I was in high school, and the pastor like berated the church about not tithing, and that was like... Oh, cool His sermon yeah and and like it was a church that i did not go to and it was far away and we were just this whole choir like sitting there like okay it was so awkward and i remember i remember going you home broke being like, bitches how dare you yeah. come into this house of god with no money i'm 16 can i please go um, literally I, like i, I, I don't have live high, here i have high school tomorrow like this is very <laughs> awkward and embarrassing for me yeah yeah um, but yeah, I, I feel like I hear those, or I heard those verses a lot when I was an active churchgoer, and yet, Christians have some nice-ass houses. They do, you know, they really do. I, 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 God, as a, I... as a real person of the lower class, I feel offended <laughs> by this. <laughs> if you want, if you want to be... If you want to cosplay frugality, you need to like start. You need to start declassing yourself. You need to start wrapping your furniture in plastic. Like mm -hmm. I want to see. Mm -hmm. I want to see the energy of like somebody 
and the New Jersey working class. Like, you can't, you, if you want to be poor, you also have to be trashy. That's my standards. Mm-hmm. If you want to be poor, give, uh, give your money, Venmo your money, to Venmo Victoria, <laughs> Cash App, PayPal. I assume that's I one checks. you have. Check, yep. yeah. Well, mail a check. Uh, you can start there. It's a great first step. Yep. Um, okay, so um, as you touched on earlier, uh, Christians do hate fun, it seems. And this uh, this actually <laughs> has a, a root in a man named Richard Baxter. Uh, have you ever heard that name before? I have not heard that name before. That's fine. He is most famous uh, for writing something called the Treatise of Self-Denial. Richard Baxter himself was very influential in the ideology of Puritan self-denial, which we have come to know and hate today. He was a Puritan minister in England in the 1600s, right around the split from the Catholic Church. He uh, was known as a peacemaker who sought unity among the clashing Protestant denominations, and he was at the center of nearly every major controversy in England. Um, So (laughs) he wrote a treatise of self-denial in 1675. It's about 350 pages long, and it was pretty influential on the Puritans. I read a lot of it, but not all of it, because it was like too long and it's also from the 1600s so he he's thrown out a lot of thou's and a lot of obligeth and i was like all right um <laughs> i only need to pick out what's important but i would like to read um he does lay out helpfully like what the concept of self-denial is in in his preface so i'm just gonna read that to you Self-denial is required in the fifth commandment in a double respect, requiring us to deny ourselves by due subjection and by honoring our superiors, that is, to deny our own aspiring desires and our refractory minds and disobedient self-willedness, and to take heed that we suffer not within us any proud or rebellious dispositions or thoughts that would lift us up above our rulers or exempt us from subjection to them." In respect to human societies for whose good authority and government is appointed, the fifth commandment obligeth us to deny our private interest, and in all competitions to prefer the public good, and maketh a promise of temporal peace and welfare in a special manner to those that in obedience to this law do prefer the honor of government and the public peace and welfare before their own. Thus charity, as opposed to selfishness and including self-denial, is the very sum and fulfilling of the law, and selfishness is the radical comprehensive sin containing uncharitableness which breaks it all. He also says in a treatise of self-denial that enjoying earthly and natural things isn't actually sinful and is part of God's purpose, but that the self-denial he is referring to is actually referencing the denial of the self as earthly and prioritizing everlasting life. Hmm. So basically... (laughs) he hmm, I have a lot of thoughts I mean like first off my first thought when you were talking about this man was what his zodiac sign is and what do you uh, think uh, give give me a sun moon rising well I thought he would have been an Aries but he's a Scorpio oh yeah I could see that 
I could also, I mean, I'm a Scorpio, so that does offend me a little bit, but I also do see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I can also see that. Uh, I'm not yeah, I think sure. maybe he's a Scorpio sun and an Aries rising. Ooh, yeah, yeah. What would his moon sign be? Maybe mm. Leo? I don't know. If he's at, if he was at the center of every major controversy in England. Ooh, maybe like... Libra? Yeah, he's got to be a Libra. We've got it. We've cracked it. We've, we've cracked the code. Now I actually have to look up his birthday. Now I actually have to try... <laughs> Oh, it's, <laughs> What's it's his no... actual zodiac sign? <gasps> he was born November twelfth. He was a Scorpio. <gasps> oh my god! That's one day before my birthday. Wow! Wow! We, you were spot on. I'm so impressed. Uh, what can I say? Uh, I am a person of art school experience and apparently <laughs> also zodiac sign experience. Um, exactly. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, but sorry. Getting back to uh, the topic. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's uh, interesting that um, he was saying that um, earthly pleasures, so to speak, aren't inherently sinful, which is mm-hmm. definitely not something which uh, I well, that has ha- not carried on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is definitely not uh, carried on in, in that messaging uh, at all in the modern church. Uh, but um, I feel more so it's kind of what he was saying with like the emphasis on like the everlasting. I feel like that's definitely carried on more so uh, just like the. <sighs> I don't necessarily want to say like obsession, but I guess emphasis is the word I'm looking for. Like the emphasis on like, this is kind of goes back to like what I was talking about with like, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and like the eyes yeah. of like whatever, whichever Protestant sect uh, you so happen to be in. But um, just like very much an emphasis on like, you know, uh, basically building the best possible, like, godly everlasting life that you're gonna have because like whatever present things you're going through like whatever earthly things where whether it's like pleasure or pain like it doesn't matter because you're just gonna die one day and like I'm gonna have to deal with whatever you've made for yourself after that which they're uh... they're heaven maxing <laughs> oh god not like this <laughs> Um, yeah, I was, I I mean, the treatise of self-denial is very long and very wordy. It was very like, God, uh, I wish, you know what I wish? I wish all of these ministers had blogs. Like, we could have avoided <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not the blogs. <laughs> we, we could have avoided so much harm to modern society if these people had just had a MySpace or a live journal. It's just that um, meme of, like, the utopian society, but it's just... <laughs> <laughs> if ministers had blogs. Had blogs. <laughs> Um, but the treatise, the treatise of self-denial, I was pretty surprised to find, like, like, I think you think of self-denial as, like, uh, Puritans, like, whipping themselves and, like, being like, I can't have butter or I'll die because (laughs) 
it's like that scene in the in the witch is like wouldst thou like to live deliciously and it's like yeah actually i would i would love the taste of butter and i would love to live deliciously um all those things actually time to me like Um, what's the point of being able to have the creation of butter if you're not going to eat it no truly um and like that's kind of like i feel like i feel like people really really read like one page of the treatise of self-denial and they were like got it time (laughs) to never have fun again i don't Um, anything more i've got this yeah and that's like not really what richard baxter said so yeah (laughs) interesting that it like like took on its own life this actually also ties into the economics of Puritanism when they reached the New World. As our bestie Marx pointed out, this also, the ideology also served class interests. So mm. in Puritan New England, work uh, quickly became, as opposed to the sort of like early industrialization of England, um, it was largely communal because they kind of had to be. Like, there wasn't a lot of room to be a self-made person in, I mean, although that that is in fact a myth. Also, I read a really great article that I ended up not using the quotes for, but um, a fantastic article that I'm going to link in the show notes about the myth of the self-made man that, like, deconstructs some of our famous um, American heroes, um, including Ben Franklin, and, and it was really good. Anyways... In Puritan New England, work, like, working together was not only economically advantageous, but, like, to work hard, which you already had to do because you were surviving in a new foreign land that didn't have the infrastructure of the previous one, it also became a signifier of their calling. And so the Great Migration, which is, like, when all of the Puritans left England for New England, it attracted uh, largely families, which was different from previous movements, where it had been mostly, like, like laborers, men who moved to new places. These families had a high literacy rate, and because farming and trade were communal, there was an idea that if one Puritan puritan prospered then all puritans prospered so you combine this communal nature of the puritan economics with the like very intense social monitoring of the puritan system and it led to something that was like pretty closed um and pretty like unique to its time (laughs) this is some christian blogger that i read uh, oh, which, oh. <laughs> we're we're gonna deconstruct this in like two seconds but but this is what he had to say about it and I, and I think i'm gonna read this quote because it sums up i think the mythology that has gone down um and this is how we kind of think of the puritans now even though it's not totally true yet by not resorting to slavery as the plantation economies to the south had sadly done the new england puritans escaped the implied notion that hard work is degrading on these principles of hard work community concern investment in the development of strategic productive facilities and reduced regulation the new england colonies set a standard for economic social and political development which was not only remarkable for its time but which has seldom been matched um okay so there's one big thing here which uh is 
is simply untrue. It's that the Puritans did not resort to slavery. So Mm. we really can't talk about labor in America at all without... Like, American economics are so deeply tied to slavery. Like, there's no way to talk about work ethic, work labor, or labor history without addressing, like, chattel slavery that existed and, like, largely contributed to the economy. So a lot of Puritans were abolitionists, especially compared to those colonies in the South, which used slave labor heavily, but not all of them. Um, and But the ones that were, this often had to do with the fact that they recognized themselves as God's people who were enslaved in Egypt, which is also interesting to think about when you think about how they felt about Jews. Um, now, wait, you know, I was just going to say, wait, the Puritans thought that about themselves? It's really, they considered themselves the city on a hill, which is, like, described in the Old Testament. Like, like they thought that they were God's chosen people. I think any sect of Christianity thinks that they're God's chosen people, and that that's, like, the trump card. Like, that's you can't problem. tell any... <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't tell anybody that they're not... all be that girl, okay? Like, we're, <laughs> we're not all, like, I'm sorry, Puritans, but you're just not that girl. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And all so, be God's chosen people. Yeah. A number of Protestant sects were extremely involved in the abolition of the British slave trade. Uh, not the Puritans, notably. It was namely the Quakers and the Evangelicals. However, the British slave trade was not abolished until 1833. And even then, mm, questionable. Because the Britain was is fully, like, still in Africa. So... Mm. Um, uh, not great to say the least. No, 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 no. And also, the idea of slavery not existing in the North is actually more of a post-Civil War idea than fact. So, in 1991, they discovered an African burial ground in Manhattan, and um, following this, they actually discovered more African burial grounds, which leads to the theory that or supports the theory that slavery did exist in the north but it was not as well documented as it was in the south and because um the north of the of america didn't have like a cash crop like tobacco or cotton like they did in the south it just wasn't as big of a part as their ecosystem however it absolutely did exist the northern people also absolutely enslaved native peoples um often for domestic servitude and just kept poor records of it the north also had a bunch of important ports in it and fully economically embraced slavery because they participated in trade with uh slaving organizations that's not the right word slaving people so basically slavery absolutely existed and contributed to new england's economics but our records on it are just more ambiguous than others are uh so the idea that like new england and the north was somehow free of slavery is, is simply not true any thoughts there i mean first and most prominent thought is just that all sounds really bad uh yeah i mean can't say that slavery was great yeah no definitely not uh so really bad to say the least um and also once again kind of going back to the whole theme of irony where like essentially like (laughs) 
these many groups of white people were thinking that like you know if you just work hard enough you can like get where you want to be meanwhile having like building this essentially upon the backs of like enslaved people uh so just all around uh a lot of horrible uh crimes against humanity going on and i mean i honestly like i feel like that ideology has persisted today like nobody gets to be a billionaire without exploiting somebody else Ah, absolutely like Jeff Bezos is out here making people pee in water bottles and people are like, he's like an entrepreneur. And it's like, no, he's evil. He's, yeah. he's evil. He is Mr. Monopoly. Like, he is like literally like a cartoon villain. And He would literally sell your soul for like $5 and for one corn chip. Yeah. For one corn chip. Yeah, what was, sorry, this is kind of a tangent, but it reminds me, do you remember that episode of Spongebob when Mr. Krabs, um, he sold Spongebob's soul for, like, 35 cents or something like that? Like, that's literally just Jeff Bezos. And, like, any billionaire. (laughs) No, literally. And this is what I think we should do to Jeff Bezos. Take away Amazon, give Mm -hmm. him a Krusty Krab. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Wait, many Krusty Krabs or a Krusty Krab? No, no, a singular Krusty Krab. A singular. He doesn't get to franchise. Yeah, and he has to operate the whole thing by himself? Yes. Hmm, interesting. I feel Um, like he would do a really bad job of it. (laughs) That's the whole point. Like, Like, we need him to understand that his labor doesn't exist without other people. Yeah, it's almost like... You can't ethically be a billionaire. <laughs> it's yeah, and also I think I think it's fair to say that nobody's labor exists without other people. Uh, we are communal animals. We cannot survive without each other. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, I feel like, especially in Western society with Western in- individualism, like God, I saw. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw a post a little while ago where the person was basically talking about like, like you're not, you're not a self-made person because like, like you had to grow up, you had to have people raise you, you had people teach you in school, you like. And if you want to go way back to the beginning, at one point you were a zygote and zygotes can't fertilize themselves. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if we're going to go way, way back, yeah, definitely. It takes like, two to tango. Exactly. Like, it's like you're you don't exist in a vacuum, I guess. Yeah. And neither True. does your labor. <laughs> I looked for some stuff about like the Protestant work ethic and the Industrial Revolution, which mm-hmm. uh, is important to notice to note that Max Weber's book that theorizes about the protestant ethic came or came out like right around the time of like super large-scale industrialized capitalism um and basically exact i didn't find that much about it but basically exactly at the time that bureaucracy and the expansion of large-scale manufacture were affecting the working working life protestants decided that they they like really loved the grind and i have to wonder if this was like a response to 
the grind being very dangerous and terrible. Um, so they didn't actually have to be indoctrinated into the new economic life of capitalism only to shift their focus from the economic to the moral. Drudgery mm. served the Protestant as valuable mortification of the flesh, valuable in a worldly as well as in a spiritual sense, for unlike the hair shirts and the self-whippings of the medieval saint, his unflagging concentration on dull work brought tangible profits. Uh, that's from a Chaser article called The Puritan and Self-Denial, I think. Yeah, so... This is also summed up in the attitudes of some U.S. presidents. This is also from some, like, random Christian blogger, but they, uh, they had some actual sources about the working habits of U.S. presidents. So Dwight D. Eisenhower during World War II worked 14-hour days fueled by endless cups of coffee and four packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> Did Dwight Eisenhower die of cancer? Because that seems excessive. Um, and um, wait, did he? I don't. I don't think so. Okay, I don't know how he you're, died. You're also gonna uh, need to school me on uh, the specifics of American history because uh... oh god, we'd be here all day. Uh, this is when Samantha <laughs> comes out as Canadian, um, assigned Canadian at birth. <laughs> No, Eisenhower. Eisenhower was president during World War Two, during part of World War Two. Um, what did he die of? There's so much information on U.S. presidents' Wikipedia pages. Quite honestly, you could tell me any, literally anything about an American president, and Eisenhower I died of congestive heart failure. Okay, I'm, so not cancer, but I'm sure the cigarettes did not help. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that definitely wasn't helping uh, with <laughs> with the heart failure. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln famously uh, was a farmer and kept late nights and early mornings, and uh, famously wrote a letter. Uh, referring to two eager sons of a needy mother for service in the army, saying uh, she has two sons who want to work, so set them at it if possible. Wanting to work is so rare a merit that it should be encouraged, which is a real boomer moment from Abraham. I was Abraham. literally just thinking, I'm like, wait, my grandpa literally just said this exact thing <laughs> the other day. <laughs> like, exactly. Nobody wants to work anymore. And I'm like, uh, Sure, Grandpa. <laughs> sure. And then Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who was president in, like, the early 1900s, said, I never won anything without hard labor and exercise of my best judgment and careful planning and working long in advance. Having been a rather sickly and awkward boy, I was a young man at first both nervous and distrustful of my own process. I had to train myself painfully and laboriously, not merely as regards my body, but as regards my soul and spirit. So, I mean, doubtful. I think if you are the U.S. president at any point, you have to be some kind of sociopath. Um, uh, yeah, I I will say uh, definitely. <laughs> to be like any sort of leader with that much power, you definitely, yeah, you definitely have something wrong with you. Like, no offense yeah. to... I also, I don't, I don't know that much about Teddy Roosevelt as a person, but I'm pretty sure he was like at least upper middle class, if not straight up upper class. So 
what kind of hard work was he doing? And now I'm looking up his Wikipedia page. Come on, Teddy. It's giving those kids who, like, say... Basically, it's giving a kid who got an internship at Google uh, because yeah. their parents worked there. Well, he went to Harvard, so this isn't a great start for Teddy Roosevelt. Let's see. He did have asthma born so did i you're not special okay he was born to a businessman and philanthropist so that is a code for a rich person it's code for child of lexus experience yeah but you know he was sick so that's fine i i spoke with a lisp until i was like 10 and then i trained myself out of it so me and me and teddy roosevelt were the same Basically the same. same. No, we're not the same because Teddy Roosevelt was like kind of a monster. As we've covered in our compulsory motherhood episode, straight up enemy of the cast. Enemy of the cast. Wait, I have to know, do you have like an official list of enemies of the cast? No, but we should. I think so far we have Teddy Roosevelt, Billy Graham. I'm going to go ahead and throw Anita Bryant on there. Uh, Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess we could include Hitler while we're at it. Stalin. One day, one day we'll get all. But Teddy Teddy Roosevelt holds a special place in my heart as the first enemy of the cast. The so, first. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um. So what? Also, one of the more interesting studies that I found on the Industrial Revolution and the Protestant work ethic was one that actually tested the empirical evidence. So if Weber's thesis is true, that capitalism would be strongest and developed earliest in the Protestant countries where there was a strong work ethic, the study suggests that the the interpretation of the Protestant ethic is probably influenced by the perceived well-being of contemporary Protestant countries. And they actually went around and, like, collected all of the data in these countries, and they found some interesting results. So they also argued that Max Weber's thesis uh, has kind of taken on a life of its own that has really nothing to do with Protestantism and more to do with uh, the way that protestant religious ethic influenced capitalism so they broke that into three steps number one the protestant reformation fostered new attitudes a number of the of the new protestant doctrines substantially altered the thinking of many members of agrarian societies in three areas the new protestant doctrines taught that work as an important form of service to god supported the efforts of merchants and craftsmen to up to upgrade their status, challenging both the medieval Catholic view of work as punishment for sin and the traditional aristocratic view of work as degrading and beneath the dignity of a gentleman. It undermined fatalism and trust in magic and in the long run stimulated the spread of rationalism and emphasized the value of denying the pleasures of this world and living frugally, a practice that enabled those who became economically successful to accumulate capital. Number two, the new attitudes of the Protestant ethic affected behaviors. To the extent that people followed these teachings, they developed a new outlook on life. They worked harder, acted more rationally, and lived more thriftily. And number three, the new attitudes and behaviors favored economic development and contributed to the Industrial Revolution. So the authors of this study say that if Max Weber's thesis is correct, then industrial capitalism should have emerged first in Protestant countries and Catholic ones should have followed. 
However, among early adopters of industrial capitalism were Catholic, Belgium, and France, and among late ones were almost all Protestant Nordic countries, uh, which is most of them. <laughs> they also say that if this thesis is true, there should be a greater concentration of Protestants in religious, in religious, oh my god, religiously heterogeneous countries that industrialized early. So, for example, in Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland, each of those countries is about 40% Catholic, and the Catholics are concentrated in specific regions, but industrialization does not follow a religious divide, such as in the Rhine and Ruhr Valleys in Germany, which are mostly Catholic. So, they found that the, like, empirical data does not follow the thesis at all. Uh, their conclusion was that the Protestant work ethic is mostly something that is perceived by people who want to think good things about protestants hmm that's really interesting <laughs> yeah that's really not what i would what i would have thought it I does I, I was also kind of surprised by it but it did make sense when i think about it because i was like yeah like why would why would why would protestants where like i think it's important to note that that many religious wars were fought between protestants and catholics and war tends to be economically devastating it makes sense to me also as we were talking about sects of christianity canceling each other while i was doing my research for this episode i kept coming up on like puritan forums online like there's like a puritan revival i guess oh, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's real. Like, I think it's, like, weirdos online. But I thought it was so funny that there's, like, forums for, like, Puritans now. I mean, I'm not going to rule it out, if anything. One of them, I think it was a puritansmind.com. And they were like, we exist specifically to oppose the Catholic Church who are idolaters. And I was <laughs> like, okay. I didn't I didn't know that this was still going on. Like I knew that it was going on in Ireland, but I didn't know that Americans cared about it. It's wild. God. Even like 10 years ago when I was in the church, the amount of times I was told that the Catholics were going were all going to hell. Yeah. Just, and I remember being very very confused because I'm like, "Wait, but but aren't they also Christians?" And not according to Protestants. <laughs> Apparently, they were the wrong kind of Christians, so they yeah. were all going to hell, and uh, they <laughs> well, really didn't like Catholics. Um. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. John Calvin says that if you're hot, you're going to heaven. So. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. To all to all the the hot people out there, don't even sweat about it. Or like, if you can play an instrument really well or something. So if you want to go to heaven, just like get good. <laughs> just get good at something. Wait, what happens if I'm really good at committing crimes? Ooh. Dude. I, I don't know about that one. But but I'm really good at it. And I I can, you know, I've got good stealth. I can break into a bank. <laughs> Nobody knows I'm there. I can... Very strong, so I can carry a lot of money um I, I mean, and also I think, very good getaway driver Ooh, those are some valuable skills but i i think john calvin probably would refer you to the commandment thou shalt not steal but is it stealing if i need it uh i mean 
It I shouldn't need, be. But, what happens you know, if I need money to buy food and pay rent? Mm, it's not stealing true. if I need it. True. Okay, Jeff Bezos. Calm <laughs> down. Not this. Not Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, so on on this topic, you mentioned earlier the phrase to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm just going to end off with a fun little tidbit about that phrase. So, Samantha, could you describe the meaning of the phrase? What does it mean to pull yourself up by one's bootstraps? It means, are you feeling down and dejected? Are you poor and and at a disadvantage? Are you just, in general, not having a good time in the place in which you are currently in in society? No problem. All you have to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work Mm -hmm. harder. And if you work Work harder, harder. you're going to just, things are, you're just going to get what you need. You know, if you work harder, you'll get more money. And, um, and everything will be okay. Yeah, and then it's just all sunshine and roses from there on out. It's just yeah. that's how it works. So like, I think that to pull yourself up by your bootstraps is like a very sort of Western individualist Protestant ideology, very, very capitalism-pilled. And here's here's a fun little thing about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, that is a sarcastic thing. That is impossible to do. So it actually uh, originated, uh, they, the earliest reference to it is an American newspaper snippet from September 30th, 1834. So a month Oof. earlier, a guy named Nimrod Murphy, 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 excuse me, not Murphy, Murphy, it's like a Pokemon, uh, announced in the Nashville <laughs> Banner. <laughs> he announced in the Nashville Banner that he had, quote unquote, discovered per- perpetual motion. The mobile advertiser, advertiser, a different newspaper, picked up this tidbit and published it with a snarky response, ridiculing his claim. Probably Mr. Murphy has succeeded in handing handing himself over the Cumberland River or a barnyard fence by the straps of his boots. So if you don't know what a bootstrap is, it's the little thing on the back of a pair of boots that like helps you pull it up. That's a bootstrap. Um, it is not physically possible to use that to hurdle anything um and most boots aren't made with bootstraps anymore but some are tragic honestly i mean they they do have the look my my docs have bootstraps so that's fine and then that's why those are good shoes true i can pull myself up by my bootstraps because I have Doc Martens. And then the, uh, so I thought that this was a really good quote uh, that kind of sums up the whole idea of the Protestant work ethic, which is where I end my research, uh, where the, this is an etymologist, Barry Popick, or maybe it was the lexicographer Ben Zimmer. It was one of these guys. They said, maybe that says something about Americans and how they view themselves. That something seems utterly ludicrous and impossible becomes a regular idiom for improving yourself. I just love the amount of consistent irony in so much of Western culture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? It's like, I don't really know. I don't really know how we got to where we are from all of these sources because we're like, we've like literally, like we haven't even like run away. We've like pole vaulted away from the original meanings of things. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Like, the one guy who was like, you know, it's uh, Mr. Baxter, uh, uh, also a, a fellow Scorpio. Uh, I, I mean, fellow Scorpio to you. Uh, mm. I am a Virgo. But uh, our friend, well, was he a friend? No, I think. Mm, anyway. Wait, <laughs> would you classify it? Uh, you know what? Why not? Let's just, let's just throw them on. You know what? I'm let, let's do that. All Why right. Not? So, uh, also adding him to enemy of the cast, but yeah, just, uh, the whole idea that you know earthly delights, quote unquote, aren't sinful, and then yeah. <laughs> listen, basically- I'm. I'm sure if I tried hard enough, I could find something extremely fucked up that Richard Baxter said. So I'm just going to go ahead and preemptively throw him in enemy. Um, I mean, he's an old white man who lived like 300 years ago. So I'm going to make a definitive statement and say he was probably not a good person. (laughs) (laughs) True. I think we're safe throwing him on the enemy of the cast list. Yeah, yeah, perfect. But yeah, it is it is really interesting how far away the interpretation of the concept of self-denial and like a work ethic has come from like what was actually said, I guess because it was advantageous to people. Yeah, that's the end of my research. And as for what we can do about it, I've written down a couple of resources here. So... One resource that I wanted to point out is the Financial Diet. They have a lot of great resources. Um, This is a personal finance site that's like aimed at women specifically because financial literacy is something that women don't get educated on. And they have a lot of really good resources on like how to negotiate a raise at work and how to um, like negotiate your salary if you get a job offer. I've personally used these resources before and I found them really helpful. They have a youtube channel they have a podcast they have a bunch of blogs i would definitely recommend checking them out um especially because women were most affected during covid and we still have a glass ceiling baby i've linked a couple of articles in the show notes that i've used before uh then i have a forbes article as well that is 10 ways to set healthy boundaries at work um which i would recommend checking out if that's something that you're struggling with you can also set boundaries at work and it cannot go well for you. So, I mean, proceed with caution. And then, have you heard about, like, the quiet quitting epidemic, Samantha? Have yes! Yes, I've heard of it. And it's... <laughs> Do you have opinions? I definitely have opinions. But I know it's something very near and dear uh, to your heart. So... <laughs> Uh, please feel free to share your opinions first. I mean, I think that quiet quitting is dumb and is just doing your job. But I will say, <laughs> I, w- I will say, like, if you are feeling really burnt out at work, I think that's something that, like, is is really just falls under setting boundaries at work. But, like, it can be helpful to talk to other people who have done the same thing. Um, or if you're struggling, like, just think about, you know, drawing it back Uh, my personal advice to you about work because this is something that like i have been going through for a couple of years now like examining my relationship to work how i feel about it how it validates me 
um, and how or how it doesn't validate me because I think like I've definitely been a person in the past who has has tied up my entire self-worth in work and I that really wasn't good for me and I've made steps to set healthier boundaries and find like fulfillment in ways outside of work and that's been really good for me so so do that and my advice to you on that is like it may seem like the end of the world if you don't have a job or you can't get a job or you lose your job but the truth is there are a lot of jobs and there's a lot of work out there and like Honestly, the a job that allows you to have a good work-life balance and like fund your lifestyle is probably going to be more enjoyable to you than one that's quote-unquote the dream job but doesn't treat you well. Um, so like mm-hmm. don't forget to think mm-hmm. about that when you are finding jobs and also just like you're allowed to change your mind. Um, the thing that you thought you wanted to do doesn't need to be the thing that you end up doing. You're allowed to start doing something and hate it. You're allowed to do something that you thought you didn't want to do and love it. Like, your job actually doesn't have to be a calling. It can just be a job. Um, so and that's that's my soapbox. And then I had um, a couple of more things I wanted to mention I don't actually have any like specific links to give you guys for these things because I was so overwhelmed by the amount of information that was out there and I didn't have enough time to like properly vet them. But I'd say buy fair trade if you can. Um, it can be quite expensive, so like don't beat yourself up if it's not in your economic reality because there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, am I right? But like keep an eye out for it. Modern slavery is, like, a big problem. Get involved. I've actually, personally, through my volunteer work, worked with people who have been labor trafficked before. This is actually the most common form of human trafficking, is labor trafficking, where, like, somebody withholds wages, or they're brought to do, like, work illegally and, like, not given their pay or documents. Um, A lot of, like, migrant workers to the U.S. deal with this. So I would definitely urge you if you have, if you live in an area that has a lot of migrant workers to see how you can get involved in that and then lastly because the um, western economic system is so heavily embroiled in slavery i would encourage you to or in the history of slavery and also modern slavery through like prison labor um we Mm. live in a great society um i would encourage you to look into making reparations to your local black community and the and look into the resources that the NAACP has around they have a lot of local chapters and see what you can do there um to kind of help restore the economic conditions of people who are descended from formerly enslaved people and may like the playing and even the playing field a bit but also listen to the you're wrong about episode about human trafficking cuz like I got so overwhelmed because there were I like was looking for an organization that like helps end trafficking but it was all like human trafficking is like the biggest problem in the world and we we actually know that like sex trafficking is like not as pre- not what people think it is like it happens but not in the way that people think it happens and I think that Michael Hobbs did a great episode about this on your wrong about which I personally learned a lot from but yeah, look out for labor trafficking. It's a lot more common than you think it is. Um, that's the most common type of human trafficking. Those are my resources. Do you have anything to add? Any final thoughts on this, Samantha? I mean, right off the bat, I just want to say uh, excellent uh, information shared there. A lot of e- many extremely important and uh, intersectional issues with how um, 
labor, uh, the abuse of labor among like many different types of people and classes of people. Like it, it, it really does uh, affect uh, everybody at every level of society. So uh, definitely would uh, second uh, checking out uh, all of those resources and topics that uh, Victoria mm-hmm. just mentioned. And also uh, a little tidbit from me to you, uh, dear listener, uh, <laughs> just buy yourself a little, like, a little treat. Like, it doesn't need to be so something true. big. Like, just, like, I like to buy, like, a little, like, chocolate treat. And I mm-hmm. have that at, like, the end of a work day. And it just makes my day a little better with that little earthly delight in it. So. True. Uh, you know what my little treat always is? I mean, I little treat myself to death all the time, but my little treat is always uh, bubble tea. Ooh, oh my <laughs> god, that's a good one. God, I wish we had a bubble tea place where I live. Oh. <sighs> Toad be. That's like the one good thing about New York City. I can get bubble tea whenever I want. You can get whatever you want whenever you want in that city. Yeah. I had a friend I had a friend stay with me recently and he was like, God, I'd kill for some Turkish food right now and I was like, uh, it's New York. You can definitely get <laughs> Literally Turkish just, food. Just walk on the street and you're <laughs> yeah. there. You're there, was, buddy. He was so surprised. He was like, Really? Because like I really want Dolma and I was like, Yeah. You could get Dolma at like seventy five different restaurants here. Um Wow. Yeah, that Truly is that's a, good a thing about city New York. of miracles. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that brings us to a close on our episode today. Uh, do you want to plug anything before you go again, Samantha? Yeah, I guess if you want to uh, follow me uh, once again at um, SA underscore Christensen on Instagram. I don't have TikTok because I'm too old for it and also scared (laughs) of how it works. I don't have Twitter because I can't be bothered. So basically, Instagram's the only place to find me. (laughs) And uh, if you could please buy my book, I would really appreciate that. uh, It is very good. Publishing it. So, and if you don't buy it, you're, uh, you're biphobic. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't make the rules. This is... Oh, if you, if you buy Samantha's book, and also if you leave my podcast a review and Venmo me, then that actually means that John Calvin, uh, predestined you to go to heaven. So... Exactly. You are, <laughs> you are greenlit that's, to go to that's heaven. What, that's what makes you hot. <laughs> that's what makes you hot. That's what lets you into the pearly gates of heaven. Hey, Peter's <laughs> going to take one look at you and, like, you know, just, like, take back the velvet rope. Yeah. What's that thing? <laughs> Be like, go right in. Like, go ahead. Like, you're a hot person at a club. Like, don't yeah. even worry about it. <laughs> you should just show the book instead of the ticket. <laughs> this is... <laughs> um... Yeah, so once again, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can leave us a review, you can follow us, you can rate us on Spotify. Uh, the reviews yeah. are here the most helpful, but I'm not going to make you write a review if you don't want to, because I never write reviews for things. They're like, always like, leave us a review, and I'm like, haha, <laughs> I would not be doing that. Dear listener, just as as somebody of leaving review experience, it's really <laughs> easy. You know what I do is I write like, great podcast and then do like a bunch of emojis mm, and that's smart. that 
It takes like 10 seconds, like five seconds if you can type really fast. That stupid it Bank of America out. app asks me to rate the rev- to rate it all the time, <laughs> and I'm like, Bank Bank of America, you know my fin like literally, you know my financial situation, <laughs> and also your app sucks. Why do you think I would be doing anything for you when you charge me overdraft fees all the time? Anyways, but yeah, you can rate our podcast. You can follow us at Imperi Thought on. Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at mpreathought at gmail.com or you can join the Discord. Link will be in the show notes. Um, and yeah, thank you so much to Samantha for coming on our podcast. It was a great time. Thanks for subbing in for Meg today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller, uh, <laughs> and now can call myself a person of podcast guesting experience. I, I love it. Um, do you want to say our tagline with me? Yeah, absolutely. May, May your, your thoughts, thoughts stay, stay dirty. dirty.